Hello, everyone, and welcome back into a very special episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have an episode today that's out of this world and two guests joining us that are going to take us on a great journey. We have composer and lyricist and book writer Brent Black and director John Lampy, whose new show, Khan the Musical, a parody tractacular, just opened and is now playing through June 4th at the Players Theater here in New York. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting coniscoming.com. And believe me, before we even begin, you are going to want to get your tickets for this incredibly hilarious and fun and, dare I say, hot, hot, hot show here in New York. But let's go ahead and bring on our guests, Brent and John. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. I am so excited to have you here. We were talking before about, you know, our kind of our, I guess, our shared experience with Star Trek. I am aware of Star Trek, but I would not call myself a Trekkie by any stretch of the imagination. But that being said, as soon as this show hit my email, I was, I'd like to think one of the first to be like, yes, I need to know more about this. I have to know more about this. It sounds hilarious and fantastic. So Brent, let me start with you by asking you to tell us a little bit about this show. Well, okay, I'm going to tell it on the tightrope of maybe your listeners do know about Trek and maybe they don't. In the year 2366, an android named Data that a lot of Trekkies love, as you can imagine, he's an android, so he's emotionless and trying to just figure out how humans work, as is his programming, and decides to explore the theater by writing a musical based on the events of the Star Trek movie, The Wrath of Khan, which in his universe is sort of a historical event. But, you know, in deciding to write this musical, he sort of is the the bot from the Twitter meme that we forced to watch a thousand hours of something. And he watched a thousand hours of 20th century musical theater. So he's sort of, you know, it's funny that we're talking about AI art so much lately because he produces algorithmically a musical comedy adaptation of The Wrath of Khan, complete with tons of inadvertently borrowing tropes and even song forms and structures and moments from other musicals in the telling of uh, The Wrath of Khan. So it's not just a show for Trekkies, it's also for musical theater fans. And a Trekkie musical theater fan or somebody reasonably reasonably familiar with both is like absolutely our ideal audience member, even though it is very much made for anyone. It is written like a good musical is where we, we introduce you to the characters. We don't just assume you know them. Um, so anyway, yeah, it, it, in the story that Data tells, an aging Captain Kirk is now Admiral Kirk. He's pretty resigned about his, uh, you know, comparatively boring life at a desk these days instead of commanding a starship. And suddenly his old nemesis, Khan, who's been, you know, vowing revenge for 15 years, gets freed from exile and is just hell bent on killing Kirk. So it's sort of a cat and mouse game that helps Kirk get his groove back with the help of his friends, but not without some twists, turns, and maybe even sacrifices. So yeah, that is, I hope that wasn't too long of an explanation, but that's the basic idea of Khan the Musical. No, I think that's fantastic. And this this sounds like so much fun. I love that you included the, like the Twitter bot that's forced to watch 25 hours or whatever of musical theater and then write 
what it thinks you know a musical is i love that interpretation and i want to follow that up by asking how did you come up with the idea for the show well in 2015 i was in a dance show or rather i was attending a dance show in brooklyn and there were two guys dancing in spacesuits and i was sort of zoning out for some reason a dance show with no words for me can sort of become like watching the aquarium at the dentist's office. I'm sorry, dancers. I just after a long enough time, you know, it's like, ah, it just kind of kind of washes over you. But anyway, I see these two spacesuit guys, and I'm like, you know, they kind of look like Chekhov and Terrell from The Wrath of Khan, the two guys that beam down and accidentally enter the lair of Khan and his culty hench people. And I just kept thinking about that, and it was like, this exquisitely dumb idea, the way that Gutenberg the musical, the writers of Gutenberg the musical set out to do a thing that they didn't realize was pretty dumb. Or there are other examples, but I was like, how would you even do that? And I outlined it for fun. I talked to my friend Alina Morgan, who has written for Sci-Fi Wire and Looper and is very much, you know, has interviewed William Shatner. <clears throat> She's much more of a Trekkie than me. But I was like, maybe we should have it be Q, the impish sort of omniscient and, well, at least omnipotent, there we go, being from Star Trek The Next Generation. Maybe Q should be the one to narrate it. And Alina was like, well, why don't you make it Data's story? Because that could set the stage for parody by making it where there's almost like an in-canon reason for it to be off and for it to, you know, have historical inaccuracies that we can play for laughs. So, yeah, um, that was 2015. I tinkered with it for a while. I performed some songs from it at a sci-fi convention in 2018. And that really just got me realizing, among other things, but that really got me realizing there's something to this. So finished a draft by early 2019, did some readings. Now there have been, between table reads and actual readings, there have been, I think, seven airings of the show live before an audience before this. But this will be the first time almost eight years after conception, that it will be performed with full costumes, full sets, and more than a week of rehearsal. <laughs> I love that. I want to bring in our director now, John Lambie, to ask you, what has it been like developing the show? Like Brent said, he's been developing this for nigh on to eight years, and I just hit my one-year mark with the show so back in november this is november 2022 brent and i and our producers for this production we did a reading in phillipstown new york of the kind of most recent draft of the, up to that point it was an equity 29 hour reading so really quick kind of oh my god please learn some of the words and learn yeah as much of the music as you can but it was really great because it gave us kind of a sense of where the draft was in the you know seven year mark so that was kind of the beginning of my development with it and then between that production and when we went into rehearsals a month ago or so brent and i would kind of he'd send me ideas and we'd tinker back and forth with you know maybe that line's funny or maybe it should be this particular word because luckily for me by the time i was on board brent had done so much refining that i could just be a sounding board and say yeah you know what cookie is funnier than muffin or whatever the case may be <laughs> No spoilers there. There's no cookie versus muffin jokes in this. But show. I will tell Yet. you for a while there, macaroon versus cupcake was in fact a line I went back and forth on. And now it's just Joaquin's bowling league. He wanted to do 
people that don't know the show, this this makes no sense. But Khan's sidekick, Joaquin, really wanted to open up a macaroon shop, then a cupcake shop, and now wants to form a bowling league. So these things kind of, John's not kidding when he says cookie versus muffin. Those things, that's the, that's the level you want to get to before you start rehearsals for your first major production and not during. Right. And, you know, once, once we hammered out the baked goods question <laughs> by the time that we were in rehearsal it was you know i get to do the my favorite part of directing which i always think is kind of editing good ideas and we got a great cast of really smart and very inventive actors who come in with so many ideas and like all of them are funny and i go okay well if we do all of these bits the show's going to be six hours so let's pare <laughs> yes. it down a little bit and we'll kind of streamline it and make sure it all fits with the story that we're telling but that's that's been you know just in the last month of development has been seeing the show from how we've been reading it back and forth to each other for a year to finally getting to hear it you know kind of with a fully realized cast so it's pretty exciting and last night uh i think when we're recording this last night was our first preview and it was super exciting obviously but also super informative to hear it with a live audience that seemed kind of fairly split between trekkies and musical folks and also some people that didn't really know either and to me like that's our that's our goal is to be a little bit of red meat for the trekkies so if you know this particular detail you're going to catch it and appreciate it but if you don't know it you're not going to get lost ditto for musical theater fans who are going to hear a particular chord or a certain we have like one lighting look that i've totally stolen from a show which i won't give it away but you'll know if you see it or if you don't know any of that stuff and you've wandered in and grabbed a ticket where you could sit down and go, I don't, whoa, this is cool. This is a great way to spend two hours on McDougal Street. I love that. I want to now ask, it is a parody show, but is there a message or a thought you're hoping that your audiences will take away from the show? Yeah, you know, there, this is a layered situation. Like I set out to write a parody that would tickle Trekkies and uh, along the way realized it would be even better to tickle their dates and their grandmas and whoever they brought along. So that person's not just like, well, I supported my person that I know that I came with. But as far as a message, you know, you keep, I will say, I want to shout out to Star Kid because they produced a show. And if you don't know Star Kid, everybody out there, they're a internet-based, mostly internet-based company that does mostly parody musicals historically. They'll stage them live. They'll put the video on YouTube. And my favorite of theirs, uh, though it has aged a little poorly, like like all 2013 comedy, it's called Twisted. It's a musical called Twisted. And it's like, what if Disney's Aladdin was such that Jafar was actually the good guy? Almost like Wicked meets Aladdin. And it's one of the few parody musicals that ever really made me feel a thing. The end of Gutenberg the musical can make you feel a little too, but... But yeah, Twisted really made me feel some stuff. So this is all trying to set up my answer to your question about the message. Over time, you know, I started to see what I was writing. And subconsciously, even the lyrics and song titles were picking up on this whole fear of aging, fear of death theme in Wrath of Khan. And in the movie, there's this test that is called the Kobayashi Maru that cadets at Starfleet have to take. And the big secret of it that, you know, the audience will find out in the first five minutes, but that the students don't know is there's actually no way to pass it. It's a simulation where no matter what, 
you're going to die. Your ship is going to be destroyed. So the point is, how do you how do you act in that situation? But over the writing of the of the show over all these years, I realized, oh, I don't know if this is what they meant in the movie, but to me, aging and death are the unwinnable test. That is the Kobayashi Maru. That that is the thing that you can't beat. And so if there's a message of the show underlying all of it, I guess it is you can't beat the march of time, but you can embrace it. Or you can, like Spock does in a way that maybe people aren't aware of, you can control it on your own terms, or rather you can, I guess control is not the word, you can you can embrace it or deal with it on your own terms. And so even though the real, you know, the big zoom out idea is Star Trek's funny and quirky and fun, and let's celebrate how weird and occasionally silly it is. Underneath that, there is something of a themes about aging and death, and, and I think a, a light sprinkling of carpe diem. Oh, I like that. John, what about you? What's the message or thought you're hoping the audiences take away? Well, I'm going to piggyback off everything that Brent said because I agree. But for me, what I like, I guess what, what what I love so much about Star Trek and what I've always liked about it, I was I was a original series kid growing up. So those are the first three seasons from 1968, 67, 66, 67, 68. The real cheesy Shatner and Nimoy and, you know, the whole crew. But what I loved about those episodes is that whether they were dealing with some kind of internecine issue on the ship or they were beamed aboard some random planet to deal with something, all of these, they're, they're kind of like um, fables in a way. They're sort of like parables. There's there's a lesson in all of these episodes. And what generally comes out of those lessons is, you know, like Brent said, you're going to die one day and life is going to be really hard sometimes but like, look at the people around you and oftentimes they have your back and oftentimes you can have their back. There's a lot of love in particularly those three seasons, but in a lot of Star Trek. And for me, not to kick dirt on any other parody musical, because I think, look, if you want to go through the time and the effort to write a musical about anything, you know that you have to to be pretty fully engaged with the source material. What I love about our show is how much love we have for our source material, because I think there's there's a really there's a really beautiful human element to all of the Star Trek stories, particularly Wrath of Khan, which is pretty frequently thought of as like one of the better, if not the best Star Trek movies. So long way around saying what I hope people get out of this is like, look at the people around you, whether it's your real family, your chosen family whoever it is, you know, oftentimes they've got your back and oftentimes you can have theirs. And those are, that's what we got here. It's experiences and it's experiences with people. And then who knows, who knows what tomorrow brings, if it brings anything at all, but look around you. Sometimes you're on a podcast with people you don't know yet, but you're having a great time talking about theater. It's just, it, it's a, it's a beautiful reminder to just, to just be where you are, you know? I love yeah. that. We we should also note that like the show contains, you know, words like dickwad. <laughs> you know, we have some some fairly I don't want to say sophomoric in a bad way, but like let's let's not get carried away. John and I have had time to think about the sort of rooting of the emotional stakes and and whatnot, but it's still it's a silly parody show. And and I think that, you know, to 
having I don't think I connected twisted when I said it earlier, but it was a huge influence on this one to have just enough heart and not just be, you know, theater of cruelty, not just basically be taking <laughs> shots, but to have fun with it and to have compassion for the characters, even as we're roasting them. Awesome. Finally, for this first part, I want to ask, who do you hope have access to the show? And Brent, why don't I start again with you on that? Well, there's different there's different ways you can use the word access. And so we have the small and the big. As you know, if there's one industry that has not really evolved much in the internet age, it is new musicals. And new musicals still have a hard time kind of getting the word out about themselves if they don't go through some kind of high-profile New York City run. That's neither... Well, I won't say it's bad. I won't say it's good. But... As far as like access right now, we're mostly worried about can the people that can get to this one theater in New York City, you know, like find out about it. We have a pretty robust marketing strategy team. One of our producers is a theater marketing strategist by trade. So, you know, like that's kind of a glib answer, but it's like step one, people that can get to this production. And if one day there's more. It goes on the road, a studio album, sure, stuff like that. But none of that really happens if this production doesn't get seen. Even if it's good, it's hard to sell something that was good at a 168-seat theater in the village that no one saw. So that's step one. Step two is, again, accessibility of content, accessibility of comprehension and enjoyment. There's a formula I've had to figure out over many years that is like... Making references that if you don't get them, they're still either fun, useful, or at least seem like a funny, absurdist thing to say. You know, we don't, people that go see The Odd Couple for the first time have not been loving Oscar and Felix for 30 years like some Trekkies love Spock and Bones. But you quickly figure out their their comedy of manners and you can laugh at it after you've known them five minutes. Same with our Spock and Bones. And also, like we earlier in the show, Data uses a lot of tropes of musical theater. He doesn't realize he's ripping off We Both Reached for the Gun from Chicago when Khan puppets Chekhov, who's under mind control, to, you know, make a to call basically to, to make sort of a space Skype call and lie for him. But of course, just like Billy Flynn, Khan is singing, Chekhov is mouthing. Now, if you know Chicago, you get the reference. But if you don't, then the same concept from Chicago works here too. Khan is puppeting Chekhov. You don't have to know the reference. And maybe someone will see we both reached for the gun after seeing this show and go, oh, that's where they got it from. You know, so like when you say access, again, it's like I want one day for this show to be accessible to anyone. But step one, we have to make sure that people can and will get there. And once they do, that they have mental and contextual access to all of it, access to a great time, even if they lived under a rock until the other day. Love that. John, what about you? Who do you hope have access to Con the Musical? I would say Brent crushed the answer to that question, so I don't have a ton to add. I, I would say that I want everyone to feel, I want everyone to be able to see this show. And when I say that, I mean, I don't want people to feel afraid, oh, I don't have enough prerequisite knowledge about Star Trek or about musicals or anything, because at the end of the day, it's a really funny show. 
with a tremendously funny cast, also with gorgeous voices who can, you know, maybe do a Vulcan tap dance meditation here and there. So there's just, there's a lot of really fun stuff. Even if you wander in off the street thinking it's a, it's a totally different con that we're parodying here. If you missed the Trektacular part and thought it was Sharub Khan. Oh, John, let me tell you, I have a Google alert for this show. And oh my gosh, <laughs> I almost never see Con the Musical, but I get so much stuff about musicals with somebody that has the name Con in them. What a booming industry that is. <laughs> yep. I didn't know until I set up Google alert for the words Con the Musical. And well, now I know. <laughs> right that's my goal is even if you think you're coming to see the guy that owns the jacksonville jaguars con as a musical you might wander in and go does this take place in space where's the football team what's the you know what this is actually a lot of fun so Up now, I want to give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better. And I want to start by asking both of you, what inspires you? What playwrights, composers, shows inspire you? What are some of your favorites? And John, if I can stick with you first on this question. Yeah, I would say broadly, I'm most inspired by art that is made earnestly. That's what always, I think, gets gets me most excited. because. Look, we it's not to get on a soapbox, but we live in a very commercial society, capitalism, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of art gets made that just has to make money. And that, that again, I can't fault anybody for that. But a story like this one that took Brent eight years of work to get to the stage, you know that when you see that, that there's, this is, there's some real intention behind it, that we earnestly really, really want to tell this story. Any show like that, that feels like you have to tell this story or else you won't like you just, you have to do it. Even if I'm standing on the street corner, yelling it out to people, this is a story that has to get told. Those are the things I find most exciting. So I'm trying to think of a really good recent example of that strange loop obviously was like, ah, no, that's a story that had to come out of him. And luckily we get to see and hear it, but something like, like that, any, any sort of art, whether it's, theater, film, music, television, paintings, anything that, that just feels unique and feels truthful. That's, that's my jam or really stupid. I also love really dumb, like goofy music. I'm you'll, you'll rarely meet a larger Tom Lehrer fan than me. So that kind of stuff, that's my bread and butter. Yes. Brent, what about you? Okay. So as far as favorite stuff, and there's definitely influence from all of these in Khan. Gutenberg the Musical, which is obscure and hasn't aged well. Not the, what has aged well, honestly. But it is a 2006 musical where two guys write a musical that is bad and they do a backers audition, but it's only two of them. So they act out all the roles, switching trucker hats between themselves that have the names of the characters they're playing. And it's kind of like how Data in our show puts on his own show and acts in it as well. There's also Twisted, as I've mentioned before. Little Shop is an absolute 
huge influence on me. And Al, you know, Mencken and Ashman more broadly. Rocky Horror, you know, just I, my parents had the vinyl. And as a kid, I didn't want them to think I would ever listen to anything that was theirs. But before they would get home, I was kind of latchkey for a few years there. So I'd listen to Rocky Horror. You're in town, certainly, was a big influence. Talk about, you know, Avenue Q as aged like milk in the car on a summer's day but it's it's still that it's it's style was an influence so what inspires me so you may not know this but my career started with youtube i got on at the exact right time in the kind of mid to late aughts and i had and still kind of have a brand where i take video game music and add lyrics kind of like weird al and i occasionally do original songs about video games sometimes they're even a little bit emotional but if i've noticed what inspires me i think you can take it back to even when i was in college i wrote a musical called Usical the musical and ou was the name of the college and it was a satire on uh you know the the policies that the administration of that university were instating and it became kind of like a two-hour south park episode about our school and it's like, what was fun about that? Well, it was validating the experience of a group of people, but then through that, trying to tell a universal story. And so what happens when you take video game music and millions of people have played that game, you make an even better version or a more arranged, orchestrated version of the music. Now you're taking them back to nostalgia and you're elevating the experience. And if the lyrics are halfway good, you're validating their experience and reminding them of stuff that maybe they thought and never said like, yeah, why was the, why did you get Turkey out of the walls of the castle in Castlevania? Who made that Turkey such things like that. And, and so that has led to increasingly to writing material that acts both as a roast and a love letter to fandoms or to pre-existing works. And if I'm lucky finding a way to elevate and transform whatever it is, so that it is what so many theater practitioners are aiming for, i.e. a reflection of the human condition. I know I really took you on a long walk there, but I think that there is a way to take parody and, you know, bend it. I feel like we've always kind of done this. It's just a matter of, you know, are we making fun of what's going on in the world? There's different tones. There's different ways to make fun of stuff. But if I can find a way to try to take the source material and make it something that people can reflect on, even though they're mostly just laughing and there's dick and fart jokes and whatever, you know, Admiral Kirk at one point says 42069, everybody else says nice. It's a little smarter than that in context, but like, you know, let's not get too, but um, anyway. So yeah, I, I think that's, that gives you an idea of what inspires me. I love that. Well, let me ask the two of you, have either of you seen any great theater lately you might be able to recommend to our listeners? I know you've been very busy with Khan, but off chance that you maybe caught something? Yeah, I I was just saying the other day, the best part about opening in May is that it's May in New York. The worst part is we are smack dab in the middle of Tony season when everything else is opening. So I've missed all of kind of the late season openings this year on Broadway. But I, I did get to see Shucked while it was in previews which the Tony noms have now reflected, and I think deservingly so, is a tremendously fun piece of theater. That one's great to see. On the other, I won't say quite the other end of the spectrum, but a lot more serious would be Leopoldstadt, which is also wonderful. I'm trying to think what else 
in New York off of Broadway is is exciting. All sorts of stuff. It's going to it's getting into summer when like my very favorite thing is to go to TDF every morning and just scroll through like the current offerings on TDF because all sorts of stuff is coming and it's either about to go to festivals or it's coming back from festivals and it's one night here and one night there and all sorts of cool new stuff. Now is the time to be on those theater discount sites because there's so much stuff out there. But my my two for, you know, most recently would be but both Leopoldstadt and Schacht can't, uh, cannot recommend enough. Well, as for me, I saw the Thanksgiving play, which was fun. A fun, funny show, a fun look at the way that typically white people on the left try very hard to make the world a better place and sometimes bend over backwards to the point where they don't even know what the hell they're talking about. They're just trying. They're just trying. And it's funny. But I think for me, a little funnier than that was Titanic, which is, you could consider it even competition for us. I think it's the, I've seen all the parody musicals in town. And while there are some, there's a lot of great stuff going on right now, I think by a slim but significant margin, Titanic is my favorite. And you know, it's one of those shows that it is not trying to have a certain kind of structural hoity-toityness. It is not trying to probably win, you know, best book. It is just throwing so much hilarious spaghetti at the wall. Most of it hits, and when it does, it just shakes you so hard by the shoulders, and you you just have to give into it. So, yeah, would recommend Titanic for anyone who enjoys a laugh period agree 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 with all of that i want to ask you both now what is your favorite part about working in the theater and brent i'm going to start with you on that this is self-indulgent but it's other people getting my music in their heads because god knows by the time they hear it it you know it's like giving yourself a disease writing a musical because i you know, some people write music for mathematical, you know, structural integrity. A Sondheim comes to mind. I write it always trying, if I can, to create a song I wouldn't skip on somebody else's album. Something catchy, something earwormy. They cannot all be that. But so when I hear somebody else whistling a tune I wrote while they're, you know, like in the bathroom, in you know, during rehearsal or somebody just kind of our stage manager cursing me for for, you know, making it where she gets the song stuck in her head as you know, there's so many great things about working in the theater. It is also for me so hard because having done sort of every part of my YouTube career for years, the act of collaborating with so many people and trusting so many people is difficult, as we saw in our, you know, first performance last night where I don't mind telling you we had to replace an ASM with someone who did not know the ASM track moments before the show trust is difficult but people I don't know I mean people that appreciate stuff I wrote almost as if I took a part of myself and put it into their brains and now it's coming out their mouths there's nothing like that there's simply nothing like that and it's wonderful what a great answer. John, what about you? Well, first and foremost, I'm going to say that Brent is absolutely right. And that for the better part of the last year, I have had at least one of these songs stuck in my head. And the best and worst part being 
the songs are really catchy. The worst part is because I'm the director and not a performer in the show. I don't know most of the words. I know all <laughs> of the melodies and I just kind of do, do, do my way through all of these songs when I'm wandering around singing them to the cats in the apartment. But my favorite thing, I, you know what, I, I could answer this question for half an hour, so I'll try to keep it short. And if you were to ask me tomorrow, it would be different. But I think my favorite part of working in the theater is the people that you get to work with. And I don't just mean like, oh, wow, Brent from, you know, I, I didn't know Brent before we got introduced and started this collaboration, but being able to go, oh my God, that guy's got a really legitimate and successful career that I really admire. That's really cool that, that we get to work together and ditto that for lots of our cast and our crew and our producers and to go, oh, wow, I am in kind of rarefied company with these people. But most importantly, it's a, just a good hang, you know? I've worked a lot of really awful jobs in offices and in factories and in clean and construction sites and stuff. And I think, man, making theater for people, that's the best. Because at the end of the day, like the the stakes are relatively low, all things considered, right? Like it's not neurosurgery. If we screw up and the curtain falls and the lights don't turn on and the worst possible scenario is like, Man, people didn't enjoy the show, but thanks for coming. And they'll probably still go see another play. The best possible outcome is that what we put on stage can change someone's life. It can legitimately change the course of somebody's life. It can mean a lot to people. And 15 years later, they can be sitting around on a podcast discussing why which particular recording of Rocky Horror means more to them than another. And <laughs> and I love that that's, that that's a world that we all get to to be in. Now, that being said... None of our curtains fall and all of our lights turn on at con. So we are pros through and through and everything is going great. <laughs> but the, the the upside to telling stories, to telling stories professionally to people and to be on the other end of that and just go and get to sit in a dark room with a bunch of people you may or may not know and watch a story unfold live. Oh, it doesn't get better. It doesn't get better than that. That is so awesome. Love. What great answers, both of those. And that is a great lead in to my favorite question to ask guests, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? John, what is one of your favorite theater memories? Okay, so the first time that I visited New York, uh, I came here as a, I was going into my senior year in high school, not sure really what I wanted to do with my life, but knew how much I liked theater and I liked theater, I liked our drama club in high school and was able to go to New York and see a ton of shows, it was 10 shows in like six days. And one of them was the 50th anniversary revival of Hair. And that show at that time, I guess it was 2008 or 2009, that particular production with a young cast of excited people dancing, like literally dancing in the aisles next to my rush seat. I was like, this is this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. So that's the one that that sticks out to me. Yes, 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 yes. Brent, what is one of your favorite theater memories? OK, at the end of my freshman year of high school, first off, it happened that I was a freshman in the senior level theater production class because like a lot of things in my life I sort of just weaseled my way in through sheer presumptuousness but our teacher said hey even though I do auditions for the senior level class every year 
I'm leaving. I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be your teacher next year. So you're all in. So we had this big group of, you know, more students in that class than we ever had before. And I did a thing. I just got obsessed with the movie Clue that has now been adapted into a play that's being done apparently at every high school from here to Timbuktu. But this was the year 2000. Actually, this was the summer of 1999. And I like wrote out an adaptation of the movie Clue just as kind of an obsessive thing that I really wanted to produce at school. I really wanted, I, I think I wanted to be in it. But I, when the teacher that replaced our other teacher, you know, was first introducing herself to us, I I just lied. I really, really bald-faced lied that our old teacher had promised us that we were going to get to do this adaptation of Clue as part of the season. And then she left. And I kind of surprised myself in the moment because it wasn't really, I didn't plan to pitch it that way. And so new teacher reads the script and goes, it's good. You're going to have to direct it though. And so at the age of 16, actually not even the age of 15, I was blessed and cursed with the role of directing my own adaptation of the film Clue with a cast of my friends and classmates. And it went really well. I learned more about directing than I think a lot of people would by, a, a, you know, and, and not that I'm the greatest director now, but you learn a lot about a lot really fast when you have to quiet down a group of your friends and tell them what to do and also have fun after rehearsal. And so, yeah, like just to put a bow on this, the set and painting was not done the night before we opened. So I just kept seeing how long I could stay at the theater or rather in the auditorium. And it was teachers left and then janitorial staff left. And then I was just there at a closed up school. And I basically, eventually the I, I tripped a, a silent alarm. The cops showed up and just picture, like we borrowed a starter gun from the track team to be our revolver. It did not have that orange plastic on it. And so... The cops arrive. I'm in a room with prominently displayed wrench candlestick, rope in a hangman's noose, revolver, dagger, which was a practical dagger. We didn't think about this. We just and so and, and I was like, oh, I'm painting for my play. And they were like, and I was in my socks. They were like, sure, you are, sweetie. You're, you know, obviously suspected of criminal trespass because you're here and shouldn't be. We're, if it's four in the morning, we are going to go ahead and call the principal and figure out what they're going to do with you. Vice principal shows up at five in the morning, but to his credit, kind of pulled me aside brusquely like he was going to tell me how bad I was. And he he knew me well enough and he winked at me and he goes, we're not going to do anything. Don't worry. And so the school <laughs> backed me up because they knew that I was such a weird little, I don't even know what you'd say, like self, self-styled self auteur and... I didn't get in trouble, but the entire administrative staff razzed me for the rest of that year. Like, you're going to have to start paying rent if you do that again, kid. You know, that kind of <laughs> thing. And the show went off well. I gave one of the most deranged pre-show speeches in history because I didn't really sleep. And yeah, probably probably my favorite theater memory right there. Oh, my gosh. That is incredible. A, a story that has not aged well. I feel like that's the theme <laughs> for you. Yes. <laughs> on this yes. show today. But what a great story. What 
two great, fantastic memories. I really appreciate you both sharing those today. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Do either of you have any projects or productions coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug? Yeah. So first and most excitingly, Con the Musical plays at the Players Theater May 4th through June 4th. You can get tickets at www.coniscoming.com. I think you can also get them from the Players Theater website or at the box office, but they're selling pretty fast. So I would advise you to get on those tickets soon if you'd like to see it. Um, Shortly after that, a musical that my writing partner and I wrote, a musical comedy about the Unabomber called The Toon-A-Bomber, is going to be (laughs) playing at the Kansas City Fringe Festival, and then we're going to take it to, uh, I guess we'll be doing it again in New York as well, and then we're going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival after that in August. So I get to grow my beard out and dig out the old hoodie and sunglasses look so we can do our musical comedy Unabomber show, which you can find out about at thetunabomber.com. I was going to say, please keep us posted about that. Brent, what about you? Okay, so I do a lot of different things career-wise. I just can't commit to one genre. But what I'm about to plug is heavily influenced by theater and musical theater. And I would recommend to anyone that's a theater goer or not. But I, in 2017, released a game I designed and co-created called Use Your Words. If anyone knows about the Jackbox games, it's very much in that vein. It's a little bit more, we set up the jokes, you write the punchlines in a variety of multimedia ways. But last summer, right as I was signing the paperwork to do con at the players, I was also kickstarting its sequel, Use Your Words 2. And it, yeah, it's 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 very, you know, just like a musical, I feel like if you're not laughing in the first 10 minutes, we messed up. And it has, you know, a very theatrical presentation. And so you can get Use Your Words, the first one now for any console, PC or Mac via Steam. And more information about that if you just basically Google Use Your Words game and the system you want it on or on any eShop on your console or Steam, you can just Google Use Your Words. But yeah, Use Your Words 2 is coming out and that should be out toward the end of the year or earlier. You can follow us on Twitter at Use Your Words. Very cool. Finally, if our listeners want more information about Khan the Musical, a parody, Tractacular, or about either of you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do that? We've mentioned ConIsComing.com, as well as the Players Theater website, but are there any other like Instagram handles or websites you might be able to plug? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm terrible at social media, but I'm mostly on Twitter at other John Lampy, but you can also find me at www.johnlampy.com. But more pertinent to our show, Con the Musical, uh, you might know the, the handles better than I do, Brent, but I know that we're on Twitter and Instagram we're and actually, we're Facebook. Actually, yeah, we're Con the Musical on all three. Oh, there you go. Um, Easy all enough. one word, and then on Facebook, I believe it's just facebook.com slash Con the Musical. You can find me at brentblack.net. And also on social media, I am Brentel Floss, which is the name of my YouTube brand. Brentel Floss on Twitter, Brentel Graham on Instagram. And my comedy party game is at Use Your Words on Twitter, as previously stated. And just to plug, if anybody wants to hear my old and very early 2000s edgelord musicals from my past and other things like that, Brental Floss, again, that's like dental with a BR at the top, brentalfloss.bandcamp.com. Feel free to poke around there and find some weird stuff. 
Wonderful. John, Brent, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today about this hilarious and fantastic new show that is up and running at the Players Theater. I cannot wait to see it. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your memories and all your knowledge with us today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. It's been a joy. Thank you. This is great. My guest today has been the composer, lyricist, and book writer, Brent Black, and the director, John Lampy, whose new show, Con, the Musical, a parody Trectacular, is now running through June 4th at the Players Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting coniscoming.com. And we also have a myriad of social media and websites and contact info that we'll be posting on our episode description as well as on our social media. But in the meantime, tickets are going fast for the show. So run, don't walk. Get your tickets now for Con the Musical, a parody Trectacular, playing now through June 4th at the Players Theater. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.